listen to it if you weren't here last week. Today, we're going to be taking a bit of a, of a, of a pivot or shifting our gaze. We have been almost entirely in the Old Testament looking at uh, how God has revealed himself in the Old Testament. And today, we're going to really follow this thread through the whole scriptures. And we're going to be looking at really the names that are associated with Jesus. So not that obviously he's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to see that thread going through today. But we're going to be focusing on the name of the Good Shepherd, which is a name that Jesus himself gives in John chapter 10, and digging into why that is important, why he makes that connection. And then we'll spend most of our time in Psalm 23, looking at who God is and what he has done and what he does. So pray with me real quick as we uh, get ready to dive into the word together. Lord, we love you and we're grateful to you for just for your compassion over us, for the fact that you pursue us, that you call us to, to know you, to be loved by you, to be transformed by you. We thank you that you take us as we are and shower grace and power and love on us. We come to you this morning all of us always in great need, in need of encouragement from your word, in need of challenge and correction. But most of the Lord, we come to you because we, we desperately need to know who you are and remind ourselves who you are, what you have done. Who is this God that calls us to himself? That you are indeed our good shepherd and that we would walk with you, Lord Jesus, in the process of, of growth and discipleship. So we pray all of the time. Just take a moment and, and pray that God would teach you something from his word today. Ask him to reveal something new to you, to encourage you, to correct you, to rebuke you if you need it. Just prepare your heart before the word, before the Lord. And take a moment to pray for someone else. We always want to be in the habit of praying for other people, so if you, whether it's someone you just met during during greeting or someone you've never known or it's this person in front or beside you, pray for them. Pray that God would teach them today. That the Lord would encourage them and spurn them on. Lord, we dedicate this time to you. Um, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' risen and exalted name we pray. Amen. All right, so these names, so this, this whole concept or this motif or this uh, metaphor of God being a, a shepherd and this name, this title of this good shepherd, it starts, honestly, it, it, it goes from Genesis through Revelation, God calling himself a shepherd. That through, through the arc of fall and the, the redemptive arc of Scripture, it's this constant thread that we're going to briefly follow through. I'm just going to skim through. You don't have to turn with me. I'm going to hit a couple different places. But it starts all the way back even in, uh, in Genesis 48 when Israel is blessing uh, Joseph. It's in here somewhere. Here we go. Genesis 48. So when he says to Joseph, he's blessing Joseph and his sons. This is uh, Genesis 48, 15. It says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, to this day, so that Israel is naming God as his shepherd, realizing that God has shepherded him through his entire life. God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And you move on, of course, to Psalm 23, which we'll get into. The Lord is my shepherd. One of the prophetic books of Isaiah. So in Isaiah 40, right, you have this beautiful picture of, of God. And it's this, of course, Isaiah 40 is this great chapter of comfort in the midst of, in the midst of a, a whole book, really, of 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 judgment upon the nation of Israel, telling them they're going to be taken into exile because of their, uh, their refusal to bow their hearts to the Lord. But he says this in Isaiah 40, verse uh, 10 and 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. and he, So lambs are baby sheep, right? gathers them in his arms, carries them close to his heart with his great tenderness, and he gently leads those that have young. Another translation says he gently leads the nursing ewes. He leads the mamas. It's remarkable, right, that in the context of all of this trouble, this is how God reveals himself to care for his people. So if we skip forward to Ezekiel chapter 34, we have 
the Lord being really mad at the, the shepherds, the priests of Israel, people that were supposed to be taking care of the people. And he kind of lays into them in 34.1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? And then he contrasts them with who he is in verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep. Does that sound familiar? I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And other, it goes through in other places in the Bible. And so we get, I'm going to jump ahead of all these things. Hebrews talks about, we're going to end with that actually later today. But all the way in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, we get this wonderful picture again. So here on Revelation 7, this great vision of, of John and there's these, these uh, saints that are coming out of the Great Tribulation in uh, Revelation 7.14. And it says that these, uh, they've, those that have come out of the Great Tribulation, these martyrs who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So we see this, this idea of God being a shepherd, of him shepherding his people. Literally from Genesis to Revelation, this thread goes through the entirety of Scripture. And then, so when we run into Jesus in Luke chapter, excuse me, John chapter 10, he is, as he often does, is talking to some folks, and he starts telling them in John 10 that there's this idea that he is, he's, and he's going to start getting in trouble here in John. And in 10.1, he's going to briefly work through this. He says, I tell you the truth, in 10.1, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in is a robber. So said he right, a, a sheep pen was this little corral that you would put sheep in to keep them safe at night. And, but the one who comes in by the gate is the shepherd. The watchman opens the gate, and he goes in, and he calls the sheep to him, and they come to him. And verse 5, but they will not follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, John says, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So therefore, Jesus says to them again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me, there are thieves and robbers, but the sheep will not listen to them, for I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And he will come in and go out and find pasture. And the, but the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So saying there is this life, it's eternal life. The only way to come into that eternal life is through me. Which is a, a, a theme that you see all throughout the Gospels. There's only one way to be saved. And that is by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is coming. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, these Jews know exactly what he's saying. It's not like it's some random uh, uh, reference that he's making. They know full well. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I am the God of Psalm 23. I am the God in Isaiah. I am the God in Ezekiel. I am the great I am. I am the sovereign Lord. And as we read down to verse 19, it says, At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, they're saying, This is what Jesus said, and this is what he is doing. You say that he's mad because he's saying things that are contrary to your understanding of who God is, but look what he's doing. So every time we look to Jesus as a little tangent, every time an unbeliever, if you're talking to someone who does not know the Lord, just point them to what Jesus has said and what he's done. Don't get in all these side tangent arguments about whatever. Just point them to Jesus. It is Jesus who saves. It is faith in Jesus that saves people. It is not his faith in a literal seven-day creation. It is not faith in the rapture. It is not faith in whatever. It is faith. All those things may be important, but it is faith in a in a Christ who has died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day that brings people home to God. So when you're talking to people who don't know Jesus, 
Talk to them about Jesus. Because the only thing that matters is that they don't know Jesus. All right. Back on trail. Here we go. So what is a good shepherd like? So there is a, uh, a principle in Scripture of, of um, which we, we hit in 1 Corinthians uh, next week, of full mention. And it's this idea of um, when a theme is in Scripture, it gets mentioned in other places, and then it gets full mentioned. Like the theme of love, for instance, gets mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, right? The, 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 the full mention and this, like this full exposition. And Psalm 23 is this wonderful full picture of what a shepherd is. What is a good shepherd like? Because there's lots of bad ones out there. But I'm going to spend time in Psalm 23 here looking at what does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? Who is he and what has he done? So turn with me if you've got your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat over there. It's got teeny tiny prints. So if your eyes are young and beautiful, you can read it. Otherwise, if you're like me, you may be like, you can take your glasses off. So or get your readers out. But Psalm 23, I'm in page 489 of my Bible, so if you're around there, probably hit, hit it somewhere close. And it is the Psalm of David. We know David was a shepherd who was then anointed king of Israel. And so as he writes this psalm, which my opinion doesn't really matter, it's probably the greatest poem that's ever been written. He writes this incredible poetry explaining to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who, it, who is this God who is a shepherd. So let's, let's read it. That sounds like some fun back there. Yeah, maybe some sheep are loose. I don't know. Um, after years in Guatemala, that I hear rumbling on the first thing of earthquake, but they're not, they're not big ones here. So, all right, let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you've never memorized scripture, uh, memorize this psalm. So, be a great, great place to start, a great thing to store in your heart. But let's look at what God is telling us about himself. And I'm going to uh, walk through this. And I want us to see that he, he provides, he does, I'm going to use a little bit of alliteration here, but he provides, protects, prepares, and pursues us. And we're going to see how he does that in this psalm. So first it says, the Lord, this is uh, Yahweh, I am, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. To not be in want means that you have been provided for. for the, so the Lord is a provider. He's going to explain how he provides. What does he provide for us? He says, he makes me lie down in green pasture. So the, the word there for make, uh, it's not like he's forcing, but it's this idea that God, he has both the, the, the means the, and the, the end of this rest. He is the one who causes it, and he is the one who is providing it. So he makes me lie down in cream pastures. Like if you've ever had a very upset child who's overtired and you, you make that child go to bed. Or you can do that with an animal, like an animal that's upset or a puppy or something or a dog or a, anything that's upset. You're the one who's in control. You're the one who is the adult in this situation. So you take this, this child who is upset and you're like, I'm making you lie down, right? I'm not asking you if you want to lie down. I'm not taking a pole. You are exhausted. I'm putting you to bed. Do you understand that concept? So when it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures, it's because we don't lie down. We just run in little circles and we scream and we cry and we're frantic and we run around and God's like, hey, come here. He was like, no. So you grab him, pick him up, and it's like him carrying you over, saying, here we go. I'm making you lie down. And he makes us lie down where? In green pastures. Perfect place for a sheep, right? What does a sheep need? It needs food. What kind of food? It needs grass. Where's grass? In a green pasture. So the Lord puts him right where he needs him to be, right where the provision will be found. And there's these two metaphors in here, really. One of being a sheep, and then we're going to look at in the, the second half of this, it's really this metaphor of a, of a banquet hall. But right now, talking about sheep, David is obviously not a sheep, right? So when he says he makes me lie down in green pastures, this is poetic license that David is using, a metaphor to explain something true about God. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me, beside quiet waters. So he, he provides rest. He provides leadership. Where? 
beside quiet waters. He leads us to peace. He leads us to a place where we can rest and be provided for and get exactly what we need. And then finally, he says, he restores my soul. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't just give us the physical things that we need. Yes, he gives us the grass. He gives the sheep the grass. He gives them the water that they need. Then he restores our soul. When was the last time that you were able to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you have just restored my soul? Are you at a place right now where your soul is like needing restoration? Are you like an old house that needs to be fixed up, have the old junk pulled out? That's what a restoration is, right? All the old stuff that doesn't work gets pulled out. And you put new stuff in. This is what God does with us. He restores us. We come to him. He pulls out all the junk in my soul. And then he puts himself back in it. It's remarkable. And he renovates us. He restores us. And this says he restores my soul. So you and I are not just these physical creatures. I'm not just this random assortment of, 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 of chemicals and atoms that makes up a human. No, I am created in God's image. and I have a soul. I have an immaterial self. I have a mind, I have a will, I have emotions, and I have a spirit. And that part of me needs restoration. You cannot get it restored anywhere else. Only he who made your soul can restore it. And so he comes to us and he provides for us by restoring our souls. I just, I want to pause and just invite you and let him restore your soul. If you have been a long time since you felt God restore your soul, would you not leave here today until you spend a little time with him? We're going to do this. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing. Take advantage of the time that we have. I think there may be like an animal pack back there running. I think the, the, the sheep are out. So somebody's having a good time. By the way, there's a little ramp back there for handicap access to the stage. If you've never been back there, that is a, the kid's favorite place to run because it clunks. It's lots of fun. So let him restore your soul. Back on track here. And it says, he guides me in paths of righteousness. So he, he makes us lie down. He gives us rest. He leads us to a place of rest. And he guides us where? In paths of what? Righteousness. Not in paths of like crazy, random life, but in a right way. In the path that God says, this is the right way to walk. Um, the, the Bible talks about like the ancient paths, and it says go, and Jeremiah it says to go and, and, and go to the crossroads and say, where are the ancient paths? Show me, and I will walk on them. Jesus says to walk with him. God lays out a path for the life of the believer. How should we walk? What kind of people should we be? How do we make decisions? Well, he guides us in paths of righteousness. Are you in need of guidance today? I am. Jenny and I are desperately still trying to figure out what we're doing for school for our youngest two. What is the best thing? What is the path of righteousness here, Lord? Guide us in it. But why does he do it? Does he do it so that you can be fine and that everything can be happy? No, he does it for his name's sake, which is a really important theological concept here. Do you know that God's reputation matters to him? One of the reasons that he does always what he says he will do is because he does not want the world to be able to justifiably rail against him by saying, no, 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 you said you were going to do this and you didn't. He is always consistent. He is perfectly the same. And when he says that he will do this, he will guide us in the path of righteousness, it's not just for us. It's so that he can uphold his own glory. You see that? That's why it matters, so that you can come to the Lord and you can say, Lord, I need you to guide me in the path of righteousness, not for me, but so that I can, my, by the testimony of what you have done in my life, that I can de declare your righteousness and glory to a broken world. That as God works through us, it shines his glory to a world in darkness. He does it for his name's sake so that we can trust that he will never leave us or forsake us. That he will hold the promise to do this. He is promising you these things. Do you see that? This is not just words on a page. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me to beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. We have to trust him fully to do this. And then know that it is not just for us, but for his own name's sake that he does these things. So he gives us guidance. And it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or the valley of deep darkness. That little phrase, even though. 
Because everything seems great, right? You're this little sheep, you're in green pastures, you're beside quiet waters, your little soul is all restored, everything is good. And then comes verse 4. Even though we do not live in a perfect world, you do not need to walk. I mean, you don't even have to walk outside our front door. You can just look from our window and see that things are broken, right? So even though I walk through what the valley of the shadow of death is, this idea of, of, a, of a, a valley that is dark and it is a place where predators can hide and a, not a place that sheep want to go. We're going to look at just a minute some of the qualities of sheep and they don't like going into dark places because they don't like to get eaten by things. So they don't want to walk through a dark valley. So he says, even though I walk where? Through the valley of the shadow of death. At the moment where life is at its very worst, I will do what? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me and you comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God provides comfort for us and he provides freedom from fear. So we're going to move out of this metaphor of God, uh, uh, of this sheep and shepherd, of God providing, he protects, he prepares, and he pursues. And it says, you prepare a table before. And the reason the metaphor shifts a little bit is because uh, sheep don't eat at tables, and uh, they, don't, uh, they don't drink wine, and they don't, I don't think they do. I mean, maybe I don't know that much about sheep, but maybe they do drink wine. But it says, you anoint my head with oil, it would be really, really weird to anoint a, a sheep with oil. But... I think the metaphor shifts here a little bit to, okay, now, where is David now? Well, he is now in the presence of his enemies. So he's just said, even though I walk through this valley, and here he is in the presence of his enemies. He is, at, he is in, uh, in mortal danger for his own life. And in verse 5, what is God going to do when David is in danger? He's going to prepare. What does he prepare for him? A table. So in the ancient world, it was a whole lot of work to prepare a table of food for somebody. It wasn't like running to Whole Foods or Aldi and buying all the stuff. No, you had to have a table, and then you had to get a grain, and you had to grind the grain, and you had to get the oil to mix with the grain, and then you had to bake it, and then you had to go get the milk, and then you had to make the cheese with the milk, and then you had to go get a lamb. And it was a massive process to set up a table of food. But look at what it says. It says, you prepare a table before me. God is not panicked when you're in trouble. This is a great Corey Ten Boom quote. This is, there is no panic in heaven, only plans. God is never up there freaking out. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't hurry. Jesus never hurried. It's constantly amazing to me. Jesus never freaked out, ever, ever. God does not freak out. We do. That's us. That's our job. Our job is to freak out. See, in this situation, remember, we're the sheep. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are vulnerable. We're the sheep. God is the shepherd. And he is the one who has prepared a table. So whenever trouble hits for you, God's already been at work. He's already prepared something for you. And what does he do? In the presence of my enemies. He's not removing David from the trouble. He's like, no, in the middle of your trouble, that's where I'm going to prepare a table for you. Not away from it, but in the midst of it. It says, you anoint my head with oil. The concept of anointing was, uh, there was an idea of consecration, of setting something apart. Uh, anointing oil was obviously used, like in the, in the <clears throat> parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, it was used to, to bring healing to people. And like, like Samuel anoints David to be the king. And so, or it is, a, is a, something that you can do to, to show honor or deference to somebody, like when uh, Jesus' feet are anointed with the perfume. So anointing is this, uh, this setting apart, it is this honoring, and it is this healing and comforting process. So in the presence of their enemies, we can be comforted, we can be set apart for God's work, and we can be um, valued and honored in the presence of our enemies. And it says, my cup overflows. So if you think about the idea of a cup of wine being a picture of God's provision, how much provision is God giving David? Overflowing provision. So much that he can't even keep it in the cup he's got. He's like, oh, i got to get a bigger cup. His cup overflows. How does God provide? How does he protect? How does he prepare in the midst of trouble for us as our good shepherd? What does he do? Who is he like? Who is he and what does he do? He is the kind of God who provides us with overflowing wine with overflowing goodness into the cup. 
And then it says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is where there's a bit of irony in this poem. So remember, he's in the presence of his enemies. The word there for follow me after surely goodness and love or goodness and mercy or goodness and loving kindness, the word there for love is the Hebrew word chesed, which is super hard to translate. It means all these things. But it says, will follow me. That follow me, the verb for that is typically used for an enemy's pursuit of their of their, their enemy, enemies and friends, whatever, their target, or of, of a predator's pursuit of their prey. So instead of, if you think if you're in the presence of the enemies and you're turning around to see what's behind you, you expect to see your enemy pursuing you. David turns around, and what does he see pursuing him? Goodness and love. David turns around, and he sees God pursuing him, God's goodness pursuing him in love. See, love in the Bible is not just an emotion. Yes, it, is, it has an emotional content to it, but it is always an action that is followed by emotion that acts for the benefit of the beloved. So David turns around. Instead of seeing his enemies after him, he sees God himself pursuing him in goodness. Isn't that amazing? So what is behind him? God in his goodness, pursuing him in love. And what is in front of him? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when he says he'll pursue me all the days of my life, that means that God's love will pursue him. As long as he is breathing, he will see the goodness and the love of God pursuing him. And when he stops breathing on this earth, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will spend eternity with God. This is our great hope. That in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our difficulty, that we have the love of God pursuing us. And where is it pursuing us to? Eternal glory with Him. That is our hope. It is not that things will always be good here. It is that eternity is waiting for us. Remember, the ark of redemption ends in a new heaven and a new earth with resurrected bodies where uh, the devil and sin and death and hell are put away forever and where only goodness remains. That is what our hope is in. It is not in a bank account that never gets low. It is not in lack of trouble. It is not in lack of conflict. It is not in any of those things. It is the reality that God pursues us with his goodness and love, and he pursues us, and he runs with us all the way to glory. So, I was doing a little research on uh, sheep. I went to, a, apparently there's a some Saskatchewanian shepherds, and they do sheep up there in Saskatchewan. Never been there, but I like saying the name a lot. And they have some things about sheep that I found. So I want to read some of these qualities of sheep, and I want to encourage you to join me if any of these things sound familiar to you. Sheep like routine. So be patient when introducing something new. Yes. Uh, sheep reactions are predictable, so use those to your advantage. People are predictable, right? Sheep react negatively to loud noises and yelling. I also do. Loud noises, running behind us, we yell at people. They don't like that. Listen, the sheep will bunch up in corners to protect themselves. That's like us on social media, right? It gets in a little corner. Hey, I'm going to stay here and I feel safe here. Uh, don't yell at me. It's just like uh, high school kids at a click at, at lunch, right? So they, they uh, bunch up into corners to protect themselves. Not just in high school, by the way. It happens in the office today. But we bunch up into corners to feel like we're, we're safe. I'm with people I know. I'm with things that are comfortable. Get this one. Sheep tend to move in the opposite direction of their handler. Man, is that what I do. The Lord's back there pursuing me in love and goodness, and I'm like, I'm going to go the other way. I don't, want, I don't want you. No, stay away. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. <laughs> Sheep tend to move in the opposite direction of their handler. Gosh, we're just so dumb. Okay. Sheep have a flight zone, which I had to look up. is the safe zone. When I thought it's flight zone, I was thinking like Maverick, Top Gun, boom, like dial it to 11. That's not what they're talking about. Uh, sheep don't fly, unfortunately. So, but they have a zone around them. And as long as you're not in that zone, they're good. They're going to graze. They're going to go sheep things. When you enter the flight zone of a sheep, they're going to they're gonna pay attention. You're like, what are you doing over here? And if you keep coming in the flight zone, they run. So people have a flight zone. We're like, hey, I got to. I got a safety, I got a boundary over here. Can you please not enter that boundary? And uh, of course, Treb and I are constantly trying to enter everybody's. Like, hey, let's get in your space, get in community, rub elbows with each other. We're trying to constantly push you guys to uh, be uncomfortable with each other. But people and sheep have a, a safe zone. Sheep 
move best when they are not afraid. I do too. So work slowly and calmly with them. Don't you see how the Lord treats us when we're in fear? He's not yelling and smashing and grabbing. No, he's so calm. This, this Psalm 23 is not a screaming psalm. It's, uh, it's so gracious and slow and calm and true. Sheep do not like to move into the darkness. They don't like to know, they don't want to know where they're going. I like to know where I'm going. There's a reason that the psalm says that God's word is a lamp to our feet. We are very uncomfortable in darkness. If I can't see, I don't want to go there. Why? Because I'm afraid. I don't know what's there. Maybe there's danger. So we read this psalm and God is crying out to us saying, you think that there's danger in front of you. I promise you that in that darkness, there I am. I'm your light and I'm pursuing you in love and in goodness. Sheep move better on a flat surface or uphill. Apparently sheep back ends are really weighty. So going downhill is really hard for them. See, we're the same. I like it when the love, it's just level ground. Just steady she goes. Let's just keep doing the same thing every day. Or even when it's uphill, like we're climbing a greatness. Woo-hoo. But when things are going badly and I'm sliding downhill, it's no bueno. I don't like that at all. I don't move well there. Sheep will move towards other sheep and they'll move to a partially full pen. So an isolated sheep in nature is a dead sheep, right? So sheep like to be around other sheep. They're built for community. Sheep are part of a flock. And a shepherd has a flock of sheep. It doesn't just have a sheep, but he has a flock. And so when one gets out, it's in danger. That's why Jesus is the good shepherd, pursues the sheep that is lost. But we're built for community. We like to be around other sheep. Sometimes we like a little pen of small sheep. Like, I'm going to take two or three sheep. Here we go. This is, my, this is my sheep pen. And that's okay. Sometimes we're like a giant pen with uh, you know, 100 sheep in it, and that's our happy place. But we're built to be around other people. Sheep resist moving from one type of surface, surface to the other because they lack depth perception. They only have binocular vision in a very narrow range, like when they're looking at the ground. Everything else is. So they have a broader range of vision. They don't have binocular vision. So they don't have depth perception, so shadows, dark surfaces, and water scare them. So they don't like moving from one surface to another, like from dirt to gravel or gravel to grass or whatever. I don't either. I don't like change. I want everything to stay the same, and I want to stay in the happy pasture, and I want everything to be green and quiet and calm. And God comes along and says, I know that you do. One day it will be. But right now it's not. When you need it, I will give it to you. But in the presence of your enemies, I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will prepare a table for you, and I will pursue you with my love and my goodness. And finally, sheep just fear new things. I'm a sheep. That's what I'm like. There's a reason that God has this incredible thread of him being a good shepherd through the Bible. Because the people who were reading it and who were writing it knew exactly what that meant. He speaks to us in language that we understand. Don't you get that? He doesn't make us invent things to come to him. He says, no, I'm going to come to you. That Jesus, incarnate in the flesh, came to save us. He sees all of us as lost sheep, and so he is the shepherd. He doesn't go out there and berate the sheep. He goes out there and he finds them, and he calls us to himself, and he draws us to him, and he says, come to me, I am the gate. Come to me and be safe. So as we transition into a time of communion, we're just going to take a minute to pray, and I want to invite you to just to go to your good shepherd. I, there's a reason he says he's good. Everything else in this world, it's like fake good. Jesus is true goodness. He always and only does what is best for us. He just restores our soul. He doesn't destroy it. He always is faithful. And as you are, take a moment today as we pray and as we sing and as we transition into, um, uh, into communion, let's take a moment and come to our good shepherd. Lord, we thank you for your great goodness. We thank you, our good shepherd, for being so kind to us, for loving us so well. We thank you for giving us a picture of communion, that we can come to you on a regular basis and be reminded of what you have done for us. So in these moments, Lord, as we enter into the beautiful sacrament of communion. Let us come to our good shepherd, Lord. Let us come to you. Let us be provided for, Lord. Let us experience your provision. 
Let us experience your, your great pursuit of us. How you give us quiet waters. How you lead us beside those to rest. How you give us all that we need. And how when we are afraid and we look behind us at what has happened in the past, that we will not see the things that have caused us to stumble or the things that have hurt us, but that we will see your goodness and your love pursuing us. And that instead of running in the other direction, Lord, that we will turn and run into your arms and let you pick us up and hold us close to your heart and care for us because we need it. We love you, Lord Jesus. We look forward to sharing and communion together as a flock of sheep in great need of a shepherd, in whose risen name we pray. Amen. Amen. What an incredible picture of, of how God sees us, loves us, nurtures us, cares for us, protects us, walks beside us. That idea of pursuing us with hesed, that compassionate, kind love, is an expression of exactly what Jesus did through this table. <clears throat> that his incredible love for humanity, his pursuing love, his relentless love, took him voluntarily to the cross where he would lay down his life for those that he loved, for his creation. And this table is a reminder of that. It's a reminder of Jesus' incredible sacrifice for us. On that very night that he was betrayed, on the night that all would flee from him, on the night that all those that he loved and cared would run away, the night that he would be arrested and put on the sham of a trial, on that very night, after having supper with his disciples, he gathered with them after the table, and he gave them these promises, which are also ours in Christ. He gathered with him, and after giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he had taken bread, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you. That as long as we take of this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes again. This is the unifying table of all those who put their faith in Christ. It is not a denominational table. It is not a table for just those of us that are gathered here at this church. It is open to all who profess faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Paul reminds us that this table should not be taken lightly, that we should check our hearts, our motives, confess our sin, ask the Lord to purify us, to cleanse us, and to take these moments with all seriousness and in great holiness, because we are reminded and restored to what Christ has done. This morning we'll be taking communion, as we always do, through means of intinction, which is a fancy way of saying as you come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and eat. We'll have stations in the back and in the front. We do have gluten-free, although it's not it's almond flour. It was weird. It's all I had at Target. So that's what they got, right? So if that's your nut issue, then you're going to want to stay with that part of Jesus. You can get the other part of it. So. Um, yeah, I know. Mess all that up. It's what it is. Um, anyway, that's how we're doing communion today. So I uh, invite our servers to come forward, and we'll pray together, and then we will share in this meal as Don, our worship team, close us out. But let's reflect on this idea of God as the great and good shepherd, that ultimately the shepherd lays down his life for those he cares for. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for all that you're doing. We ask you to care for us, nurture us. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would protect and remind us of your goodness and of your power and of your grace. That as we celebrate this meal today together as family, that you would remind us of just what you did by laying down your life, that we are celebrating the goodness and the greatness of Christ. That as we share in this meal as community, Lord, you would remind us of those great truths. Let us examine our hearts to lay down those things that maybe we haven't confessed or those hindrances, those struggles, those hurts that are a part of our heart this morning, that we may reflect upon your goodness and your mercy. So, Lord, let us come to this table together as family and as community and draw us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord, we do thank you Amen. for who you are and what you call us to and that you are the protector and the provider and the leader of our hearts, Lord, that we often try and run, that we try and still our own soul, Lord, that we try and direct our own paths. But, Father, if we see through Scripture, you are um, the perfect shepherd. Not only do you lead and guide and protect and chase, but you lay down your life for your sheep. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship this morning, my heart is that we may fall in love with the good shepherd, that we may give our whole hearts over to the one who has given his life for us, that we might trust in the provision and protection of the one who leads and quit trying to direct our own paths, to let the fear in our hearts go and to let your peace and your love and your kindness pursue us. For you do establish a table in the presence of our enemies, and that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Let's close our time in worship this morning. happened.
like to help us uh, pass out some things for the neighborhood, just walk out those doors and head to that backspace up there, and we'll gladly give you some, or if you want to take some to hand out in your neighborhood, get some, they're back there. I want to end with this benediction, this is from Hebrews chapter 13, where he says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.